1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to read the first, uh, let's see, call it 11 verses. And we are going to jump right smack dab in the middle of verse 9. Actually, the beginning of verse 9. Uh, we're dealing with these gifts because the Apostle Paul has told us that I do not want you to be unaware. The little word there in the Greek is I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. And as I look at the church today, um, the church is ignorant of spiritual gifts. Um, and uh, we'll deal with this. Um, let's pray first, then we'll read the Word of God. Father, teach us. Father, as this church in Corinth was struggling with um, spiritual gifts uh, and what they were and what they were not, Father, uh, your bride today does the same. And Lord, uh, we who gather this day, gather in your name, your people called by your name, Father, we do not want to be ignorant. We want the divine enabling that you have given us that we may be able to walk in the power and the majesty and the glory of the King of kings and Lord of lords. That, Lord, you would be manifest in your people, uh, individually and collectively. And, Father, that your glory would be that that would be preeminent in our lives. And, Father, that we would decrease and that you would increase and that these spiritual gifts would be seen in such a way that people would know that it is uh, supernatural to your praise. Amen. Chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the same Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healings by, the same, by one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. What we're dealing with is a church that was, instead of influencing its culture, was being influenced by its culture. And a lot of what we thought uh, really wasn't that big a deal was being drug into the church, and they were trying to add it to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the glory of the risen King. And they were trying to bring it in and mix it together and have a stronger, more something manifestation of Jesus Christ. Um, I can look at this text and I understand that I see this today in the church. Many people have a passion for the church. Many people have a passion for the things of God, but what they do is they bring their own understanding, they bring their own logic, they bring their own um, habits in to 
the church of God, and in doing so, they literally corrupt what God is doing. Okay, and it happened in Corinth. Um, we've looked at this at length. We've, we've, we've seen that they had a completely crooked view of the relationship of marriage and singleness and how some would say you could be more spiritual if you're single. And some would say that you're more spiritual if you're married. I, I deal with that today. You know, it's better to be this, it's better to be that. Listen, if you're single and God has given you a spiritual gift of singleness, rejoice and use it. Okay, if you're married, God has given you a spouse. That should be a treasured possession that God has given you. I see people who literally who have corrupted, they corrupt the Lord's table. Um, What you and I would call um, communion. What is it? We looked at it in depth. And we looked at the power that was there, that identifying with the person of Christ. Not only that, it proclaims the gospel when I take of the Lord's table. But it had become a festive, a, 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 a banquet thing. It was, people were literally getting drunk. Literally getting drunk at the Lord's table. Think about that for a second. That's mind-boggling. But I've seen worse. I've seen worse. And, and so you have a church. Uh, you had Christians who were suing each other. They were literally taking a problem with another Christian before the court of man. And he said, how can pagans? You will judge. You will sit in judgment of the earth. And yet you're suing one another? Can't you resolve this? Uh, this church was, it was a mess. It was a mess. And yet Paul started it out saying, when it comes to the spiritual things, you're not lacking in anything. Please understand that. Did you know that? When God plants a church, a local fellowship, it's not lacking in anything. Did you know that? The church isn't there saying, well, now all I need is a couple of evangelists and a few leaders. And so, No, it's intact. The Holy Spirit, boom, there it is. It works. And yet I see people say, well, but we need an administrator. We need this. We need that. No, it's there. It's already there. But what happens? Listen, 99% of the church growth books that I see published today are based on the world's business models. Okay? Listen, I'm going to say this as lovingly as I can. All right? The congregation has no clue what it has a need of. I'm sorry. That sounds awful, doesn't it? And yet the model today says, what does the congregation need? That's silly. Does the congregation know what it needs? I I don't understand that. Why? If that's true, then why did God have leaders? Supernaturally empowered men that God says, this man will be my chosen vessel. Okay, I I see congregations who believe that they're in charge of the church. I was under the assumption that Jesus Christ was in charge of the church. I mean, it was just, it's just an odd thing I've kind of stumbled into. The head of the church was Christ. And then God says, you know what? Through Christ, I'm going to choose 
what I will have done and what I'll have accomplished there. You know what he tells me that I'm supposed to do? I'm supposed to preach the word in season and out of season. You know what that means, right? All the time. Preach the word. When? Sometimes when they want it, sometimes they don't want it. What am I supposed to do? Preach the word. I like that. For me, I need simple. Don't complicate the thing. I like it. I only have one tool. I have the Bible. I like that. That's good for me. Why? I confuse very easily. So give me a Bible, one job. Hey, I'm on it. Okay? And yet, look at what you see today. Please look at what you see today and tell me where in the scriptures does that show up. It's not. But it is implied to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was taking the things of the world, bringing it into the holiness of God. Did you, do you understand that the church is the holy of holies under the new covenant? You know what the holy of holies is, right? That's where the Ark of the Covenant was and the big curtain thing was in there. and Nobody was allowed to go in there but once a year. Everybody understand that one? Okay, but he says, now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and that's one of those that messes with my head. Remember when Moses went up and talked to the bush? Okay, and the bush says, take your shoes off. Why? You're on holy ground. You know what that means, right? That's where God's standing. All right, so if I am the temple of the living God, then wherever I stand is holy ground. I don't understand that. I mean, has anybody really felt holy at a moment in life? I'm not even going to ask for a day. I felt holy once and then I woke up. Okay? God says, I will manifest myself through this bride we call the church. This entity. This living organism. It's not a club. It is a living organism. And if we look at it, we all gather together and say, well, well how can I be... Listen... You can't do it. We could, we could all be masters of scriptures and we have no ability to walk in them. So how do we do it? Well, I'll give gifts, he says. And that's what we're looking at. Why? In the church in Corinth, as I believe today, there's an ignorance over spiritual gifts. This church had people who wanted to bring attention to themselves. Okay? There wasn't any selflessness. Right? That's, that's, an, that's an oddity today. And if I look at these gifts and how they were perverting them, then I understand that all they were doing was trying to bring attention to themselves. Have you ever heard the statement? They didn't even acknowledge that I did something for them. They never gave me, a, what do we call them, attaboy? Where's selflessness in that? It's not in there. I look at the Apostle Paul. I am fruit of the Apostle Paul. All right? And, you know, some of you will say, dude, he got ripped. Anyway, but do you see what I'm trying to get at? But there was never a more humble man in all of Holy Writ than the Apostle Paul. I mean... Have you ever read it? Read his writings. 
he will absolutely blow your brains out because you just don't get the fact that he sits there and says, anything I do is trash. And yet God, by his mercy, I'm, we're studying 1 Timothy in, uh, on Wednesday nights, and I'm going through that part, um, 1 Timothy chapter 1, right there, verse 13 to the end of the chapter, where he talks about, uh, I was the prototokos. I, I was the preeminent sinner. And you sit there and go, well, that sounds like bragging. Okay? But you know what? I hear people who today who want to brag about their sin. And his comment was not that he went around and was an adulterer or coveting and all the rest of it. He says, I was a blasphemer and I was an aggressor against the church. And yet God's grace was big enough to save me. And he says, you know what? I count it all lost for the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's humility. That is humility. God says, you can't do it. Walk in my spirit and I will manifest it through you. Okay, easy. Walking in spirit. I can spot it a mile away. I gave you eight things. Real quick, I'm just going to go through them. If they're walking in the spirit, there's unity. Absolute unity. If you're walking in the spirit, there's fellowship. And I'm talking about fellowship. I'm talking about koinonia. Uh, I'm not talking about we're barbecuing together. I'm talking about I'm involved in your life in such a way that there's an intimacy. You can't hide it from me. I, and I have this bad habit. I'll tell you. If I think you're doing something that's against the word of God, I have a really bad habit of saying, I think what you're doing is against the word of God. I always get in trouble for it. You know, I, you know, I can look you in the eye and, and love you and say, you know what? Your priorities are all messed up. And, and I just get in trouble all the time. And then, you know, I, there's a part of me that says, well, just keep your mouth shut. And then I walk into a group and they'll ask me, what do you think about this? Oh, gee. Okay, um, my friend who has gone on to glory, we used to, we knew each other when we were very close before Christ, and we became close after Christ, um, closer actually. And uh, we had a, a bad lifestyle. I mean, even by man's standard, <laughs> it was a bad lifestyle. And I run into a bunch of those people at his memorial um, that I, we used to run with. And they had, there was a, you know, when they all found out what I was doing, after they all got up off the ground, they would ask me, well, what do you think about this? You know, the one guy was living with a woman, the other guy had left his wife for another woman. Just weird stuff like that. What do you think about this? And I had a standard answer for every one of them. Don't matter what I think. What does God think? about that that's the key and I want us to understand that because when I deal with spiritual gifts this is a manifestation of God this is a manifestation that says if I'm walking in the spirit I have this overwhelming fellowship with my brothers and sisters that I can confront you you know what's really cool about it you can confront me you can say you know what I think what you're saying is wrong 
Let's sit down and dialogue. Let's sit and talk about this. What does the Word of God bring about on this? We also have an ability to worship. I can worship in spirit and truth. I can literally worship God in a way that is acceptable to Him. I evangelize. Why? Because I have been saved out of the blackness of darkness of humanity that I evangelize. Listen, if you need to go take a class on how to share your faith, you have a serious problem. If you don't know how to share your faith, what were you saved from? I mean, you don't know how you got saved? I mean, it's easy. This is how I got saved. Okay? Uh, there will be a love. And that's that self-sacrificing love, agape love. People walking in the Spirit, this is manifesting. You can see it. It shouts. There's obedience. Why? I love the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? There are times when I read his book and it just bugs me. Anybody read that? I just, you know, oh man. But you know what? I know what the option is. I can either say, yes, this is the word of the Lord, or I can say no and get ready for Katie bar the door. Because it's coming down the pipe and God's going to blister you. All right? Because he says, you know what? He's, he, he chastens those he loves. You know what else he does to those he loves? He scourges. You know what that means? Scourging? That makes blistering look good. Okay? It literally means rip the hide off of. And you're like, yeah, I'm glad he loves me. All right? There's obedience. They're submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you know what happens when you, a person is walking in the Spirit? They have this really phenomenal thing that happens. They call it ministry. They serve. They serve. We looked at gifts your outline, there's three categories that I break them into. Gifts of men, gifts that strengthen, gifts that signal. Gifts of men were the apostle, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We've already dealt with that in depth. We've moved into gifts that strengthens. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, you can take gifts that strengthen and put them into two categories. One is a speaking gift and one is a serving gift. Together, if you take those two categories, you're going to find 11 gifts. Understand that these 11 gifts are primary colors. There's a blending of all of these gifts for what you're going to do. Listen, you don't want to have the gift of teaching if you don't have the gift of wisdom. You got that? Why? Because you're going to sound like, oh, I don't know what you're going to sound like. Uh, no, I do know what you're going to sound like. I just don't have a term to describe it. Okay? You don't want to be exhorting people if you don't have some knowledge. Okay? If you're an elder, if you've been called to be in church leadership, of a man uh, that fits the criteria of 1 Timothy and Titus, you had better have the gift of administrations or leadership. You better say, I need to get down here, I need to do this, and I'm going to do this, all right? You better deal with that because it's all a blending. If you're an elder, you are supposed to be able to teach. If you can teach, you better have some wisdom, okay? And if you've got wisdom, you'd better be looking at knowledge because knowledge is where you're going to take the information and make it applicable in wisdom. So you see what I'm trying to get at is primary colors. And the Holy Spirit, verse 11 says, He distributes as He wants to. It's sort of like the, the, the greatest... Artist that you've ever seen, the spirit of the living God, is taking these colors and he's painting what he wants. Okay, that's key. It's not what you want. It's what he wants. All right, I shared with you guys last week that in some cases, I believe, you know, we all look at big churches today. A big church is a successful church. That's a big, it's a mega church. I mean, we even coined a phrase. Okay, 
Truth of the matter is, which is the more gifted church? A small church or a large church? Think about it, logically. If I've got less number of bodies, then that means that individual has more gifts because there's no such thing as an incomplete church. Please do not confuse talent with spiritual gifts. Don't do it. You know, uh, my wife plays the piano. She's extremely talented. She plays the guitar, and I play the radio. And sometimes I don't do it very well, but I, I work at it. All right? <clears throat> that talent is something that she practiced at. All right? She gives it back unto the Lord. Don't get me wrong. Okay? Part of her service, her sacrifice to God is, is making joyful noises. Whereas in my case, it's noises. All right? But do you see that? But that's a talent. You can practice at that. All right? I have seen men who are gifted speakers. Okay? They're talented speakers. That does not make it a speaking gift. Alright? So we have these gifts, two categories, 11 of them. We had five speaking gifts prophecy, knowledge, wisdom, exhortation, and teaching. We've been moving now through the serving gifts. Leadership is a serving gift. Serving is a serving gift. And what you'll see is that if you have a leadership person, and that basically the, the, the key that really helps me with the leadership one is the guy who got chained to the boat wheel in the storm. Okay, everybody else goes downstairs and hides. You keep us on course. All right, and he's tied to the steering wheel of the ship, and you'd better have some people around him serving. Okay, because he knows where he wants to go, and the people who have serving say, here's the need, let's meet the need. Uh, there's also the gift of giving. Giving is more than just, well, here's my 10% or here's my whatever I give. Giving is, it's meta. Meta means it's bigger, okay, than the normal giving. Okay? And it basically has single motive. It doesn't set and say, well, I need to live on this much and I need to live on that and I need to pay this bill and I need to do this and then so I can give this much. That is not the gift of giving. The gift of giving says, here, I'm going to give this much. It literally means that the right hand don't know what the left hand's doing. Okay? I'm giving, why? Because there's a need and I'm giving to it. Period. And I'm done. Okay? So you see these serving gifts, you see these speaking gifts, and they all, like I said, are going to be fulfilled in a person who is walking in the Spirit. They must walk in the Spirit. And it's easy to spot a person who's walking in the Spirit. Last week we looked at the gift of mercy. I showed you there's a difference between mercy and grace. We sometimes try to mix the two together. Mercy deals with the situation. Here's a situation, let me help you get out of it. Grace is dealing with the sin. Okay, I like the part about the gift of mercy because it says you're supposed to do it joyfully. And that's the word we get hilarious from. Okay, I am so merciful, I'm just yuck, 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 yuck. Okay, and I see people who say, oh, I'm going to help them out because they have to. That ain't given joyfully. There ain't nothing funny about it. All right, so now then, I want to look at one here in verse 9, 1 Corinthians, to another faith by the same spirit. It's a supernatural capacity for believing God. Supernatural capacity for believing God. It's a gift of faith. It's the word we get pistos from. 
pistos is the word that you translate believed or we have faith, saving faith. Please understand something about saving faith. Saving faith is based on information that has been received. That In light of that information, I've completely changed my course and I lean full weight upon that information now. That's saving faith. All right. So these people who said, well, you know, I had a liver quiver and all the rest of it. I don't really know that much about Jesus other than he has two high holy days, Easter and Christmas, and therefore I am saved, don't know saving faith. Saving faith says, I have been exposed to preaching. And in the preaching of the gospel, I have come to look at that evidence and that evidence has overwhelmed me in such a way I've completely changed course and I now walk in that information, that faith. That is not what this word is. You all have to confuse you. Um, It is a person to whom an obstacle is only a challenge. Is only a challenge. Um, They believe beyond what is visible. Okay? In the early church, I believe that this was connected with miracles. You see it a lot. Okay, um, there were astonishing miracles. I, I see a lot of people talking about, you know, the birth of a child is a miracle. Nope, God just planned it that way. It is, you know, for you and I, it's miraculous. Okay, for God, everyday event. All right, you got to get a hold of this. All right, we have dumbed down miracles. Miracles when you get out of the boat and walk on water. That's a miracle. Okay, miracle is when you go down to the morgue or the hospital, open up the drawer and say, get up, and they get up. That's a miracle, all right? Um, I see a lot of stuff today that's getting classified as miracles that is not miraculous. I mean, I would look at it. You can take and open up a man's chest now, stop his heart, take a vein out of his butt, put it on his heart, start the heart, put the chest back together and say, look, we got it. Now, I'm sitting there looking at that thing and that's a miracle, that ain't a miracle. That ain't a miracle. Why? Medicine has gotten to that point where we can do this, that, and the other. Now you sit there and go, oh, okay. All right? It's not a miracle. Now, if God takes the vein out of his butt and sticks it on his heart and nothing happens, it just moves, that's a miracle. Okay? God says, no, I'll fix your heart. Boom, it's fixed. That's a miracle. Um, if you're... If you've ever seen anybody who's been paralyzed, I've had some friends in my past who've been paralyzed. Um, they get up and walk. That's a miracle. The gift of faith in the early church had miraculous undertones to it. Okay? But this is, I'm not talking about saving faith. Okay? I'm talking about a person who looks at everything. Holding firm the promises of God. One of the first verses, I actually the first verse I ever memorized in my entire life. I uh, did it yesterday. No. <laughs> Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Okay? Many of us know that verse. The one that is difficult in that is lean not on your own understanding. Okay? The person who has the gift of faith never even looks toward our own understanding. Why? Because our understanding is always going to be based on the visible. The person with the gift of faith never looks at the visible. Why? Well, hey, everybody can look at the visible. 
Listen, we are a few years out from the foundation work that God had laid with the apostles and prophets. Okay, with just a few. And we are now at a different place. All right? The gift of faith is not a saving faith. A gift of faith is not the faith in which we live, the general faith that you and I exist in. It's a special gift, and it's limited to certain Christians. I've heard it described before as the gift of prayer. I understand why they say it's the gift of prayer, but it's more than just the gift of prayer. Um, it's an intense ability, not, not you, intense ability to trust God in all things. Um, oh, man. I think pastors' wives have to have this. I do, because they've done hooked their wagon, hooked their cart to the wrong wagon. Um, It's an unusual capacity to believe God in face of any obstacle, any storm, any tribulation, anything. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. The gift of faith. Um, Remember Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17, Jesus said if you had the faith of a... Mustard seed, you could make a mountain disappear. See, all the people in Kansas is wanting that. Can we have a mountain? <laughs> I'd like to move Pikes Peak to Salida. Okay. Um, we look at that. Now, that text deals with salvation. That shows you that just that small seed of faith is enough to save you. But if you look at it, do you remember Absalom? Okay, he had great big Goldilocks or something, big head of hair. And he got caught in a tree. Do you know what the tree was? Mustard tree. A little bitty mustard seed grows into this huge tree. Saving faith starts out as this little bitty seed and it grows into this big tree. Those who have the gift of faith are beyond the tree. Okay, in Corinthians 13, 2, he says, if I have all faith, meaning that all things, I just look at it and say, no, God's here I'm doing all this stuff. The gift of faith lays hold to the promises of God. And I mean, it, it, I want to emphasize it lays hold of the promises of God. It isn't, that's a promise of God. Okay, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understandings, and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. How many of you in this room today feel like you've been on a straight path with God? But ain't that what the verse says? He will make your path straight. But I tell you what, man, that's the crookedest straight path I've ever been on. But the Bible says he will make your path straight. The gift of faith doesn't look down and say, well, the straight path is going to be right straight through there. That ain't the way it looks. The gift of faith says, I'm going to take the next step. Knowing that God will make the path straight. Um, In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 21, ask anything in believing um, and it will be given to you. Uh, and we all read that and say, well, that's just special. Really? <clears throat> he says, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what is done to the fig tree. Do you know that text? 
Remember when Jesus walked past the fig tree and it didn't have no figs on it, no fruit? And he cursed it. And when it came back that afternoon, the fig tree was dead. And they're all sitting there going, he's running around killing poor innocent trees. I mean, that tree didn't do nothing. The tree didn't sin. But he says, if you have that faith that I have, you can do more. Now, don't run out of here trying to kill a bunch of trees. Okay? So God created chainsaws. Okay? But you see what I'm trying to get at? He uses the illustration of the dying tree, the tree that he cursed, as a picture of what faith is. Romans tells me that I cannot please God without faith. Okay, let me, faith, this spiritual gift of faith is what activates God. Be real careful what I just said. You don't run around with this gift and I can pull God's strings. No, the gift of faith says this is what God is doing. This is what God has promised. I therefore believe it. A person with the gift of faith will also have the gift of knowledge and will also have the gift of wisdom. Why? They're going to be wanting to know what God's promises are. They're not going to be running around. Boy, I'm going to make Pikes Peak show up downtown Topeka. That ain't what they're doing. God doesn't need Pikes Peak moved to Topeka. They're taking a hold of what God has already promised and saying, Amen. See the difference? So when you take a person who has the gift of faith, they're going to have Bible understanding. They're going to have Bible knowledge. They're going to be immersed in it. Listen, this faith activates God because they're plugged into what God promises, what God is doing. Listen, I don't always have a lot of faith. Okay? And I thank God for somebody else who does. All right? Because when they do... It's on your behalf. And I know people say, well, you're the preacher. You're supposed to have faith. I have faith. Absolutely. I do not have the spiritual gift of faith. I know that I don't. There's times when I look at it and think, oh boy, we're in trouble now. And God continues to push it straight on through. There are certain people, when I have a need, I want them to know about my need. Okay? Because they have the faith to activate the power of God. Okay, I want to give you an illustration of this. It comes from the book of Acts, chapter 27. Acts 27. <clears throat> Paul is out for the first Christian cruise. He's out in the Mediterranean. He's actually on his way to Rome for trial. And... The cruise boat is having some problems. Very long rush down the land, a violent wind called. Uh, it's just basically these horrific storms. And the ship was caught in it. It could not face the wind. It had to give way to it. And then they let themselves be driven along. Basically what happened is the storm came up. It was so big that the, the ship could make no progress against it. They had to, what they call, tack everything. They brought everything in, wrapped it down, closed all the doors, and let the wind blow and hoped that the storm would stop and they weren't too far 
from where they were heading, they'd turn around and head back into the thing. You got this big, big honking storm. And they're trying to get to Rome. This thing's coming out of the north, blowing them south. They're trying to go north, and they realize they may end up in Alexandria or Egypt before this storm shuts off, and it's a pretty bad thing. And then you have Paul, who's been down in the basement. Okay, I don't think they're called basements on ships. But anyway, he's down, you know, he's down, you know, you have people who stand up and you have people who hold up. And he was holed up downstairs. And he comes up and says this to him in verse 21. We'd gone a long time without food. Okay? I'm, I think that's pretty evident. You're in a big old storm. The ship's bouncing around. You're probably not real hungry. Okay? Long time without food. And then Paul stood in their midst and says, Men, you ought not have followed. You should have followed my advice and not set sail from Crete. Don't you love these people who have a brilliant exposition after the fact? That is the typical Sunday, Monday morning quarterback. If you'd have done this and this and this, we wouldn't be in this mess. Okay? That is not the gift of faith. Okay? <clears throat> you should not have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Okay? Wow, great, Paul. I'm happy. All right, you know, you got a guy tied up to the steering wheel. You got ropes going around the bottom of the boat to keep the sucker from splitting apart. You're throwing cargo out because you're afraid you're going to take on too much water. And he comes up and explains to you guys that you're in trouble. Yeah, we knew that. Okay, here's what he says. I urge you to keep up your courage. Yeah, you're downstairs. For there will be no loss of life among you, only the, the ship. Now, I don't know about you, but if a guy comes up out of the hole who's not a sailor telling me that nobody's going to get hurt, but we're going to lose the boat. Right. What do you know? Here's what he says. For this very night, an angel of God to whom I belong. Okay. A messenger from the God to whom I belong stood before me, says, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you and all those sailing with you. Okay, now I got news for you. The circumstances has not changed in Paul's boat. But what did he do? The message of the Lord was this. Nobody's going to be lost. We're going to have to tread water, but nobody's going to be lost. And Paul was confident enough to walk up and say, Hey, now listen. Had I been in that boat, and the angel of the Lord had come and said, Paul, we're going to lose the boat, but nobody here is going to be hurt. There's no way I'm going to go up and tell anybody that. I'm not going to do it. Are you? Yeah, I had an angel showed up to me in my quarters. Said the boat's going to sink, but we're all going to be fine. Get them off my boat. Right? But the gift of faith says, hey, God has promised I'm coming and I'm announcing it. Why? Because God's promised. See the difference in gift of faith? Cheer up. Paul says, I believe God. I'm glad for people who have this gift. 
I am tickled to death for the people who have this gift. They are a treasure to the body of Christ. This kind of faith supports all of us. Did you know that? You can only have one or two or three people who can do this, and the whole congregation is supported by that one person's enabling, divine empowering. It undergirds the body of Christ. It undergirds the church, both locally and globally. These people do. All of the gifts. Now think about this. All of the gifts that are given to us are for what reason? To strengthen other people. So the gift of faith does what? See, the gift of faith has the power to lay hold of God's promises. And if it lays hold of God's promises, who gets the benefit? Everybody gets the benefit. Listen, Hebrews 11. That's that faith hall of fame. You know, by Abraham's faith and Noah's faith and everybody's, we all have to go through that faith right there. But you know what? We look at that. We call that the heroes of the faith. But you ever looked at that list? You see their faith and you sit there and go, wow, that's some, some stuff. But do you understand that it is on their faith someone else is strengthened? Check it out. Go through the list. In Hebrews 11, and you will see that because of that individual's faith, others were strengthened because of that person's faith. In the history of church, thousands of saints who have believed in God uh, in face of terrible stuff, fear, death, have strengthened others who are around them just because they grabbed a hold, they laid hold of God's promises and stayed there. People today with this gift who don't see any obstacle out there, they just believe. God says, I'm going to do this. And you know what? They believe God for amazing stuff. I like that. That is good stuff for me. It helps me. Hudson Taylor believed God would win the Chinese people for his day. Hudson Taylor. Okay? And he went to China without money, and he didn't even ask for support. Okay? He refused to ask for a penny, and he founded what is called today the China Inland Ministry. Still working today, still the largest impact on the nation of China that has ever existed. Okay? George Mueller claimed tribes, peoples, and nations over and over and over, and you can go back and look at what he wrote down. God, give me this people. God, give me this tribe. And you literally can watch God give them to him. Robert Murray McShane, young kid, one night, just crying, weeping, all this, and said, God, give me Scotland. And he is the father of the Scottish Reformation. How important is the Scottish Reformation? You ever heard of John Knox? John Knox had a Bible. It was given to him. He had gone to Geneva, got it from John Calvin, translated it into the English, in 1553, presented it to somebody who was in his congregation, guy named Prince James gave him that Bible and that's the King James version that you have today all because Robert Murray McShane said give me Scotland and God gave him Scotland what happens when we respond to the people with the gift of faith you know what's kind of cool about the gift of these people you don't have to have that kind of faith. I don't have that kind of faith. I, I honestly don't. I get caught up in the glory of the thing and watch it all get swept away and I just go along with it. 
It doesn't make any sense to me. Let me give you an illustration that you and I can grab a hold of. I look at the gift of faith as the engine, and many of us are just the cars of a train. But the engine is the people of the gift of faith. When we were downtown Castle Rock, down at the old building, we had that old house, and if you walked up the steps, you you walked up kind of this way, and you, you... it's like going into the fun house. Is it really crooked or is it me? And then, you know, I take out a tape measure and say, no, it's really crooked. Okay, so we decided we were going to tear it down. All right, $20,000 you can tear it down, we think. What do you mean $20,000 to tear down a house? Well, you have to have an EPA impact study, see if there's asbestos in there. If there's asbestos in there, it's going to cost you more because you're going to have to have that moved out. And you're sitting there going, gee, me, crickets, I just want to tear the thing down. Because I was thought, I could just let the fire department burn it down. They can practice and everybody be happy. Okay, that wasn't going to work. All right, fine, so what are we going to do? Well, we were going to try to do this. We couldn't have no parking. That's what we were doing. We were trying to get a little parking lot. There's no parking, all right? We were approached by a guy in the town, a guy who's doing a lot of the building that's down there. He says, I'll tell you what, I found this building. It was this building that we're in right now. And he says, it's got a little parking place to it. The town was using it for a building department or something like that. He says, I'll give you about $65,000, $70,000, and you can have that building with trades straight across, and, and what do you think? So me and the, the elders got together, and we were sitting there, uh, you know, what can we do for $60,000, $70,000 and all the rest of it. And so we were kind of, we told him, give us about 30 days. We'll look at it. We'll pray. We'll bring it before the congregation and all the rest of it. All right, great. First people began praying. We need to pray. Okay, go ahead and pray. But I'm looking at numbers I and mean, this just seems nuts. Okay. Next thing I know, he contacts us. I need to meet with you again. He says, listen, I'd like to talk to you guys again. Would you come up and meet with me? He said, all right. He says, well, he said, what I've decided, he says, I'd like to give you $80,000 in your building. Well, but we hadn't even got back for the last answer. Well, well, okay, you know, building materials has gone up. So we start trying to process that through. Two weeks later, he says, I'll give you $100,000 in that building. Well, we, I don't know. Willie, you know, a couple of guys was with me then at that time. He said, well, what, but if it takes this much per square foot. He calls us back and says, $125,000, you can have that building, and, you know, and I'll give you... A, Three months to get out, okay? We haven't even figured out what we can do for $70,000. Why are you confusing me? Why? Because I had a group of people who had the gift of faith who said, God, if you want them to move, make them knucklehead elders see it. Why? Because their faith ain't that big. My faith says, God, you will build your church. And you'll even get a businessman to give you more money than you understand what to do with. Guess what? He did it. He did it. The ladies' class, we want to start a soup kitchen. We want to have one meal. We're going to just give one meal. All right, well, yeah, great. Knock yourselves out. You women have the gift of cooking. Go. I have the gift of eating. Okay, and you know, and they run it past the elders. The elders, yeah, okay, whatever. Who are you going to feed? You know, and you start going through all this stuff. Well, we're going to do this. Then all of a sudden, I go out. I'm building this little shed for this guy. And all of a sudden, his wife comes out and says, you know what? I know where we can get food for 17 cents a pound. And we can get that in and all this other stuff. And I'm sitting there going, I don't want involved in this. But there's somebody in this church with the gift of faith saying, this church can impact its community and globally. We have nine churches we support in, in Belarus, full time. A seminary we're on to start in Rangoon. We have a seminary class that we're teaching in Orel. 
We have the orphanages now in Orel, and now we're looking at possibly taking over a hospital system. Whoever you are, quit it. <laughs> I can't do this. There's many who are in God's train who are riding in the cars. But there are those with the spiritual gift of faith who are the engine who are making this thing run. I want you to think about this for a second. What has God done in your life? What has He done in your life? And you know what? I guarantee you, you'll find that there was somebody who had the gift of faith and it activated God's power because they had faith to go beyond the obstacles. I was sharing this with some people the other day that when I was 12 years old, my father died. And I had a group of three women who began praying for my salvation. Okay, now if you'd have watched, you'd have said, at that point they started praying... I started running harder and faster and quicker away from God than any time ever in my life. They started praying, and I started, I'm out of here. And if you'd have watched it, you'd have said, it ain't working. (laughs) Harder you pray, the worse he gets. But you know what? I praise God for those three women because I know now that they all three had the gift of faith. And both myself and my brother have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not only that, I had a grandmother that I didn't even know. She died. I hadn't got to see her at all. And her single prayer was that she'd have a Baptist preacher in that family. (laughs) Wait till I see her. Because my aunt said, she said, she prayed that God would raise up a Baptist preacher in this family. She'd have never dreamed it had been you. (laughs) Me either. Why? It's people with the gift of faith. Why? They know what God's promises are. You know what I like? I can believe God today more than ever that I ever have in the past because of others who have believed in Him and He has responded to their belief and I have been able to be a part of what God did. Alright? So, This is what I want to leave you with. If you have this gift, please use it. Please use it. But here's how I want you to use it. Okay? I want you to use it like the Apostle Paul did in Acts 27. If you know what the promises of God are, okay? I can give you a whole bunch of them. If you know what the promises of God's up, God up is and you know what he's doing because you have this gift, I want you to tell somebody what God has shown you and then we all rejoice in the response that God gives. Listen, I'd have never dreamed, I'd have never, I have no desire whatsoever to have a soup kitchen or a food bank or anything. I don't need it. I know where McDonald's is. All right? And yet somebody in this church decided that this is going to happen. A couple of you came together and you all started putting it together. And then all of a sudden God is starting to do this. Listen, somebody in this church with the gift of faith has put that in and has activated the power of God. And you and I are going to get to see it. And I'm going to be thrilled. 
I watched him do that with this building when he took us out of downtown and brought us up here. I watched him. He took me to Russia to teach pastors. What? Last trip I was out there, I'm speaking in a college. I don't even like college. I have college phobia. I mean, people are too smart and they use words and I don't need a dictionary to see what you're saying. And yet they took me to a college. We have a website we had got hit so hard on right now, we don't know what we're doing. Dane's getting ready to put everything we've had digital on the World Wide Web so that people can download and listen to Goofy Me. I never did that. I never wanted that. I never wanted to be a pastor on the top 10 million things that I ever wanted to do in life. It's not on the list. I said, God, let me walk with you. That's all I ask. Just let me walk with you. And yet there's somebody out there who has this gift and it's afflicting me. Would you stop it? There's people out there who have this gift. You can call it prayer. You can call it whatever it is. I look at these people. They look at obstacles as challenges so that God will be exalted in overcoming the obstacle. And you know what? And nothing sways them. It's incredible. I've watched them. You just sit there and go, man. I'm glad I don't have the gift. You know why? Because it is such a phenomenal joy to have that gift ministered to me. I like that. And the gift of faith is taking a hold of God's promises thus saith the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for your word. Praise you for your supernatural enablings, your the powers that you unleash from heaven upon your people still is staggering to me. Lord, we who gather today Oh, a great thank you to the people who have this gift. Father, I thank you with all of my soul. You know that I have been in that position for the last few weeks as I've even looked at this. Father, I I praise you for this gift. Father, I praise you for all the gifts. Father, may we who gather this day, we who gather and hear your word, Father, may we understand that we have a divine enabling, a supernatural power to strengthen the saints. And Father, may we be busy about it. Father, not us for you, but you through us to your glory and praise. Father, you have done amazingly more than I could have ever asked. And yet, Lord, you're not done. May we stay the course. May we walk worthy. May we hold firm to your promises, your glory. Amen.